It is time. We are uh, we, we are finally going to take a look at everybody's favorite closer, Gregory Soto. Going to do our deep dive on Greg, look at his 2022 season, where it went right, where it went wrong, then talk about his future and this bullpen really as a whole, now that we've covered a lot of the pieces in the pen, and talk about what is in the cards for Gregory Soto in 2023. Also, at the beginning of the show, we're just going to take, there's several important dates that happen this week. So we're going to start the show with that, take a look at how those dates affect the Tigers, what to watch out for, how the roster is going to change throughout the week because it's guaranteed gonna, all today on Locked on Tigers. You are Locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Lockdown Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Monday, November 14th, 2022. Thank you for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every single day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. Okay, so uh, as we said in the cold open, we are going to cover Greg. Like I said, everybody's favorite closer. We're going to cover Gregory Soto talk about him and, and finally get to his deep dive. He was probably the biggest name left. I, I tried to stagger the off season, right. And have like different, I don't know, have more prolific players, like evenly distributed throughout the off season. And now we're at a point where like some decisions are going to be made and some roster moves are going to happen. So we've got to make sure that all the biggest names are talked about. It's finally time to bring up Gregory Soto. And that might end. I got to look, there, there might be a few, players left but that's close to everybody on the 40 man for our deep dive series but for right now to start the show we're going to talk about some important dates that occur this week for the Detroit Tigers and for all of baseball first and foremost on Tuesday the deadline for players being protected from the rule five draft that is Tuesday so that's something to keep an eye on for that is tomorrow as you're listening to this um, so that will be, we'll get into that in a second. And then at the end of the week on Friday is the deadline for tendering or non-tendering players, the 18th. Okay. So, uh, after a very uneventful weekend in the baseball world, uh, this week is going to be very, very eventful. There's going to be a lot of trades happening. And the reason that there's going to be a lot of trades happening at Morosi, right before I started recording, tweeted out that. Um, the Rays are like a big candidate to, to be very active in the trade market this week. The reason why is because some organizations are so deep that when you get to the day where you have to, okay, we're gonna, the, like, okay, let me explain it this way. When the, on Tuesday or Monday night or whenever they make the moves public, on who they're removing from the 40-man and who they are adding to protect to the 40-man, okay? Nobody is going to look at those players and go, wow, why didn't we trade them? We could have gotten a haul for those players, okay? It's not going to happen. It's no disrespect to them. They're obviously the best athletes in the world. They will get jobs elsewhere, okay? Maybe even still here on minor league deals. Who knows? But the fan base is not going to be upset and wonder why didn't we trade those players teams like the rays 
have so much talent on their 40-man roster that they can do that. They they can. They have players that they have just too much talent, really. Like, I'm trying to figure out a different way to word it besides just saying, oh, they, you know, they have too much talent. They're too good. Because that it, it's not that cut and dry necessarily, but it's of the players that are eligible to be on the 40-man or that you might lose in the Rule 5 or et cetera, you don't have the space to fit all of them at the 40-man, so what do you do? The players that you are planning on removing from the 40-man to add your new prospects or whatever that you're protecting from the Rule 5 draft, you then go out and trade them and bring in younger talent, right? I'd imagine you wouldn't trade for Major League talent because then you're just in the same situation. (laughs) But you trade for younger talent. You trade for some prospects. Players that aren't on your 40-man roster and not eligible to be taken in the Rule 5 draft. And that's how you keep a fluent, built, constantly building and improving farm system. That's what good teams do. They have so much talent that sometimes they have to trade some of it away when these deadlines come along. It's very impressive. Very impressive. So that is something that the Detroit Tigers are, are not in that situation. There are There are a plethora. We've been talking about it for a while. There, there's a lot of players on this roster that are expendable, unfortunately. And that's just the reality of the situation. This team was terrible this year and has been terrible for half a, half a, almost had half a century, half a decade. Change is needed and change is going to come. And, and it's going to start with the, well, it kind of started last week, but it's going to happen this week. There's going to be a lot. So Tuesday, you have that. And we talked about at the end of last week that the, the players that you're likely to see, right? Um, Reese Olsen is a slam dunk. He will absolutely get protected. Somebody's going to have to move off the 40-man for him. And Parker Meadows is not quite like the 100% guarantee that I think I'm going to put on Reese Olsen, but he's going to get protected, okay? I, I would be floored if Parker Meadows was not protected after the season that he had as well. So that's at least two. You have two slam dunks, okay? So that's at least two players that you have to find to remove from your 40-man. And then you have some other outside conversations if you want. Winsiel Perez we talked about last week had a phenomenal season, raked down in the minors. Um, So he's somebody that you could very much put on this 40-man roster and protect from the Rule 5, which you will be eligible for if you don't. And then Andre Lipschius, I think, is the, the other one, who is one of my favorite players in the entire organization. Huge walk guy, uh, more walks than strikeouts. And I think it was in double A this season, an on-base percentage monster. I love him. I hope they protect him. Uh, but if they don't, it's also important to note, and I explained this last Friday too, so I won't get too hung up on it, but it doesn't guarantee that they're off the roster either. They have to get taken by somebody in the Rule 5 draft still. Um, which which won't happen for every single player that's eligible in baseball, obviously not even close. But it does make them eligible, and, and they might be enticing to some organizations. So uh, you got – and then I, I wanted to to give some flowers, too, to Austin Bergner because he had a really solid season this year. And, and there's probably a, a conversation – I don't think he'll get protected, but I think there's a little bit more of a conversation than I had last week. So I that's my bad. I apologize. Um, I, I think he he deserved a little more respect than I gave him. But 
I, at the end of the day, I still don't expect him to get protected from it. Um, so those five, if we're counting Bergner, are the conversations that you're having, and there's two guarantees. So you have somewhere between two and four, two and five players that you need to remove off this 40-man by Tuesday. Okay? And that is fascinating when rolled into the end of the week on Friday – you have the non-tender deadline. And that's where you're going to get your decisions on the Castros, right? Willie and Harold. That's where you're going to get your decision on Kyle Funkhauser, who made it back from off the IL, but still has to make it through the Friday deadline. And, and they have to really stamp the, the seal of, of approval uh, once and for all kind on Friday to make sure he's on there. And, and he had a really good season in 2021, but it's going to be a while since he pitched last. It's really only one good season. Bullpen, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting conversation. I think they will keep him around. I think they will tender him, but I think it's at least a conversation. Uh, and then the big one is Jamer Candelario. That's the one that everyone's asking about, probably the, the biggest name and the biggest question mark among non-tender and uh, candidates. So, then you have, if you know that you're going to non-tender them, maybe you just get rid of some of those players on Tuesday and don't even wait till the tender or non-tender deadline on Friday. Or the Tigers, unfortunately, have enough players on this roster that are not in the category of tender, non-tender, but also are pretty expendable that you could just shave off on Tuesday and then give yourself three more days to make those decisions because – Unless you're just not going to sign any free agents this entire offseason, after Tuesday, you're going to be right back at 40. And then if you tender everybody, then you're just at 40. You can't add anyone. You can't sign any free agents without making another move and get rid of, getting rid of someone later. So space is going to get created. Whether that's after the deadline on Friday, they're still at 40 men and they're like, you know what, we're going to roll into the offseason with this. If we the, the players that we do sign will make decisions on who we're not going to bring back later and it's not going to be one of the tender candidates apparently. And again, there's plenty of those players that are still on the roster to be honest with you. So it'll be a very, very intriguing week. For the Detroit Tigers. For baseball in general, all the non-tenders. Uh, I'm trying to think. So last season, Matthew Boyd was the non-tender, um, which wasn't necessarily like a jaw-dropping shock, but it wasn't a guarantee either because he still had a year of control left. And then the year before that, we didn't have any, I don't think. So not something that happens too terribly often, but I – would be stunned, to be honest with you, if Friday rolled around and every single arbitration-eligible or tender-eligible player got brought back. I think I think we're – some again, some moves are going to happen. Tyler Alexander, he's also part of that conversation. Um, Ronnie Garcia, like there's, there's a lot more than just the Castros and Jamer. So we'll see what happens this week. It's going to be a busy week with a lot of moves to talk about, and we'll talk about it here. I can't wait. It's going to be a – it's fun. Change is fun when you've been bad, right? Sometimes change is not fun. Sometimes change is scary. And this might be scary change too, but it's needed. Because, again, five, six straight years of losing, we need we need an overhaul. We need a lot of change. And that's, that's going to happen this week for sure. So – 
Uh, okay, let's talk about Gregory Soto. Let's do it. Hey, why not? Uh, we'll do that. But first, I got to tell you all about our friends over at Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis this year. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball, soccer, esports, they have you covered at Bet Online. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Segment two, Locked on Tigers. Um, it's time that we talk about Gregory Soto. I wasn't pushing this off per se. I wasn't like trying to avoid it because I do think it's a fascinating conversation and I love to hear everybody's opinion on what to do really with any player. I, I, I just am fascinated with everybody's mindset towards, towards personnel moves and stuff like that. I love having those conversations with people. Um, so I, I definitely wasn't avoiding talking about Gregory Soto, but there's a reason he's last. Okay. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, afraid of this day. But I was definitely prolonging it because it's, it's, it's a tough conversation to have. The reason why it's tough for me to have is because I really put my neck out there for Gregory Soto last season, uh, 2020, and at the start of this season. And was consistently, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you're aware that I used to do the, you know, every time he went into the game, oh my goodness, that's Gregory Soto music thing. Like, I was a huge fan of this guy. And I thought that the the sky really was the limit and that he had the potential to be one of the better relievers in the game of baseball. He's a lefty that throws 100 with movement. That's a sinker, not a four-seam fastball. Even with mediocre command, this dude could have been and continues to have the ability to be a phenomenal reliever in this league. And that's all in my head, objectively true. I love doing that now, saying objectively to me. <laughs> like that's not just subjectivity, but I, I, I love wording things that way now. Um, so it's it's tough. It's real tough. And, and I... We had a, a very long conversation about this, and I think it was May was when I looked around and said, hey, this really does not feel right. This is – he is not taking steps in the right direction. This is just the same product night in and night out. I'm out on him being the closer of the future at this point. That was in, I want to say, May. I never jumped back on the train, but I was like one of the last people off the train. Like I, 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 it was very difficult for me and, and it still is clearly because I, I, he has all the untangibles to be great. He does. And let's get one thing out of the way too. There, there are some people that anytime he does anything bad, it's like, oh my goodness, he's the worst pitcher I've ever seen in my entire life. He's the worst reliever in baseball. He's absolutely terrible. Like DFA Soto, like that's, that's insane. 
He had a three two eight ERA this season. Okay, like I, I'm not. Again, I don't think he should be the closer. I'm not really. I don't subscribe to the belief of him being the the closer of the future anymore. I'm with you. I'm off the train again. I'm I'm done. I I'm no longer going to absolute war with people for this dude. Okay, but at the same time, <laughs> he had a three two eight ERA this season. He's not the worst pitcher on the planet because he walks people a lot, okay? He's still uh, effective at times, we'll put it. All right. So what is Gregory Soto's deal? Um, I think I want to start with the fact that he used to be a starter when he's coming up through the system and he hit about 25 years old, 24, 25 years old. And we didn't really have a spot for him in the rotation. And it was kind of like, eh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, no one's really feeling it. Let's try putting you in the pen. And he had had relief appearances before. It wasn't like it was like this brand new concept, but they were like, we're going to make you strictly bullpen at this point and empty the tank when you do it. He said, okay. And then threw a hundred with movement. And we were like, all right, that's great. Here you go. You're now the closer of this really bad baseball team. So he is, how do I want to word this? His style is flawed if you look at it through the glasses of an elite closer in 2022. Okay. So just hear me out. Let me, let me just ramble for a little bit and I'll try to explain my point. He is still an effective major league reliever. Again, 3280 ERA. Um, but if you are, which you should be, because that's what the Tigers told you he was, and how AJ Hinch, as much as I still go to bat for him, and a lot of people call me a homer and don't like AJ Hinch anymore, I still believe he's a great manager. Hinch used him all year as the highest leverage closer type pitcher. Okay, so you should look at him through these goggles and those goggles are are I am analyzing this player as if he is an a guaranteed slam dunk. He's the best pitcher on uh, in the bullpen because that's they keep using him in all the highest leverage situations. And he's a borderline elite level relief pitcher because that's what the Tigers front office has been telling us for a year and a half, two years. But if you look at him through those glasses, you're going to see all the chinks in the armor because there are a lot and because that's not the style in which he pitches, which is weird, but it's true, okay? He is a lefty that throws 100 with movement and yet has a whiff percentage of, well, the whiff percentile, that's the word, is in the 53rd percentile, pretty middle of the pack. His K percentage is in the 49th percentile, pretty middle of the pack. His chase rate is in the 17th percentile. Now, part of that is because he throws a sinker almost every pitch, and a sinker is not a chase pitch, but he also throws a slider. And last year, it was a really, really good slider. And this year, it was a really, really bad slider. And that's an important note. Now, even last year with the slider being an effective pitch, he was still only in the 25th percentile in chase rate, right? So the bottom quarter of baseball. 
Um, so that's already slightly, you're like, that's weird. Like, this is a dude that that throws triple digits, lefty, closer, right? You start thinking of Chapman in his prime and, and all these players, and and you would expect more swings and misses. You would expect more strikeouts, okay? And I agree with you. That's why I love Alex Lang, swing and miss machine, okay? The other thing that's weird is he gets hit really, really hard all the time. All the time. And that is why he was so frustrating to me last year was because he would get crushed, but they were all grounders. And so when he would blow games, it would be hard hit singles up the middle or hard hit singles in between third and shortstop or hard hit singles in between first and second. But they were they were crushed, but they were ground balls. And the way to highlight that is his average exit velocity percentile, and this is inexcusable for your highest leverage reliever, was in the first percentile. First. He was in the bottom 1% in the game of baseball in average exit velocity given up. Hard hit percentage, 13th percentile. Okay? So, gets hit really hard, but they're all grounders because then we take a look over, we scoot on over into expected slugging percentage and barrel percentage. Okay? Expected slugging percentage, 73rd percentile, almost the top quarter of the league. Okay, not a lot of extra base hits given up. Barrel percentage, 70th percentile. Top 30% of the league in not giving up barrels. That's what you want out of a reliever. That's great. But it's not a 70th percentile in missing barrels because he doesn't give up hard contact. Right, A barrel on Savant is 95 plus and a specific launch angle. The 95 plus, yes, given up a lot. His average exit velocity is like almost 91 miles an hour. Okay, it's very hard over the course of a whole season. But the launch angle is not. The ball goes straight into the ground. Hard hit balls that are line drives or grounders. And that's because he throws a sinker. And that's the whole point of a sinker. It's not a bat missing pitch. It never has been. It probably never will be. Two seamers, yes. Sinkers, no. The sinker, by design and by shape, is a pitch that will move a little bit at the end, tail off, so that when you start your swing, you think you have it barreled up, and then, oh, it's off the end of the bat. Or, oh, it's underneath your bat, on the bottom of the bat. You're still going to hit it hard because it's still in the sweet spot, but... It's an inch or two lower, and now it's going to go straight into the ground. That's all whack. That's weird. For your highest leverage reliever that throws 100, that's weird. All of those numbers I just read you, weird. Objectively weird as heck. 
All right, let's keep talking about it. Uh, we'll we'll get into more of Greg's numbers and then talk about his future on the team right after this. Okay, welcome back. Third and final segment here, Locked On Tigers. Thank you for making us your first listen every day. For your next listen, check on the Locked On Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest, biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, so we talked about how weird of a pitcher he is for being a one-inning reliever that throws as hard as he does. It's so weird. And he needs to develop the ability to not give up that hard of contact. Because this also isn't just a 2022 thing. Now, it wasn't as dramatic in 2021. The whiff percentage was higher. The K percentage was higher. The chase rate we already talked about was still pretty low, but a little bit higher. Barrel percentage and expected slugging were good. Average exit velocity in 2021 was in the 41st percentile, right? Big step up. 2020 looked a lot more like 2022. But the thing that has not wavered at all in Gregory Soto's entire career and will always hinder him until he can snap out of it is the walks. We all knew it was coming. It's impossible to have this conversation without talking about them. He walks more players than almost any reliever in the game of baseball. His walk percentage was in the second percentile. Bottom 2% in the league in walk rate. He walks everyone. And when paired with a K rate, that's in the bottom half, barely, but in the bottom half of baseball, not great. And again, We've uh, one of the reasons that when we had this conversation back in May, one of the reasons that I said I, I just I can't envision him snapping out of it and, and and really being the closer of the future was obviously the walks, but that's like the cardinal rule. That's like the biggest rule for one inning relievers is like do not walk people. There might not be a bigger rule. I don't think there is. I think the highest priority of every one-inning reliever that you are taught in Little League all the way through is don't put people on base. Your job is to get three outs. Three. You're pitching one half of one inning. Do not walk players. He had a walk rate of over five this year and a K rate of under nine. Can't happen. Can't happen. So, two wins, 11 losses, yet 30 saves. That's Gregory Soto in a nutshell right there. Because, again, he'll go out there and he'll be locating the sinker well in the bottom of the zone or he'll get ahead of you by whatever, by throwing a slider early, catching you off balance or gets you to 0-2 and throws a slider and whatever. He has the ability to be effective still. And that's what we started this with, right? 3-2-8 ERA. He has the ability to, to, if he just keeps the sinker low, 
and mixes in the slider every once in a while and is hitting his spots, you can have an effective outing. One, two, three inning. A strikeout and two ground balls that are pretty hard hit, but they're right at people. One of the other things that really frustrated a lot of people this year was uh, inherited runners or just runners that were on base in general. His left on base percentage as a reliever was 66.5%. If you are unaware, that is very low. It's never been great for him. It's never been fantastic. However, that's comfortably the lowest it's ever been. And that's low. That's like not good. That's pretty poor. Now, a lot of relievers have that ever since the, the, if you look at inherited runner ERA and stuff like that, a lot of those type of numbers are a little skewed over the last couple of years because of the Manfred runner. That is too big of a buffer. That is a 7% drop from 2021. That's too dramatic of of a drop for just to account for that. Now, on the other flip side, he only gave up two home runs all season. This is what's so frustrating about this dude. <laughs> There's some he he is great at specific areas and what he does specifically and then he just absolutely really struggles in the areas that he struggles in. He only gave up two home runs all year. His home run to fly ball ratio was 3.4%. And the only reason it's even that high is because he didn't give up very many fly balls, period. He gave up two home runs the entire season. It People can't get under him. If he's throwing the sinker and he's throwing it low, that's, I've said it a million times, I'm going to say it again, that's 100 with movement at your knees. You're not getting under it. And it's movement that's going straight down almost. You're not going to be able to get under it. He actually, and of his two home runs he gave up, neither of them were on the sinker. One on the four-seam fastball, one on the slider. We talked about earlier the slider. That's a really important pitch for his development and was as well. Uh, last season, his slider was very effective. It was a really solid pitch. And it was something that he felt comfortable going to, even in close counts. And again, it, it was a it was an effective pitch for him. This season, very much not. And again, the the sinker was pretty effective when it came down to, hey, don't give up extra base hits. Boom. Greg's all about it. If you want to do that's not going to give up extra base hits, Gregory Soto is not going to give up extra base hits. The problem is he's going to walk a lot of players. He's going to hit some batters. And when the ball is put in play, it's going to be hit hard, but it is going to be on the ground. It's such a roller coaster having this conversation. And then now you're seeing why I put it off. So I hope that I, I told you at the beginning when I started this, monologue to just wait till the end and let me kind of word vomit and then you can come to your own conclusion type of thing um so that that's that's really it he needs to get the slider back under control if he wants to be more effective you need a pitch that is at least making people consider chasing you need a pitch that can get whiffs 
on a more consistent basis because the sinker is not a whiff pitch, even at 100. Okay? So you need to do that. Or you actually develop a changeup. He threw it 11 times this season. And he's thrown it like 70 times in the majors in his entire career. Okay? He doesn't throw the pit. He doesn't throw the, the changeup at all. So that would be cool. But that's asking a lot. That's a, that's a you know, 27, 28 years old to develop an entirely new pitch out of the pen. Seems like a hard ask. But you never know. This is a great coaching staff. Let's talk about the future. I think that's it for the numbers game. Let's talk about where Gregory Soto fits into this team. Um, again, I, I will never tell anybody how to think. I love having these conversations where people have different opinions on players because I think that that's fascinating. And I, and I absolutely love hearing the different mindsets and the different logic and reasoning behind where a, a, a player stands in your mind versus mine. But I don't know your opinion. I only know mine. So I'm going to tell you mine, and you can agree with me, disagree with me, ask questions, etc. I think Gregory Soto will be here in 2023. I think that he should not be the highest leverage reliever. And to be honest with you, unless you bring back Andrew Chafin, I don't really think there should be a labeled highest leverage reliever going into the 2023 season. Now we'll get through the offseason. We'll see if they bring in any more talent in the pen. That's a very real possibility, obviously. I think you should go 100% situational based. And it shocks me that for as analytical as A.J. Hinch is, that that was not something that he did with Gregory Soto very much. It was just, that's my highest leverage reliever. Bingo, bango. This is the highest leverage situation in the eighth or ninth inning. Greg's going in the game. Michael Fulmer got that treatment a little bit, then he got traded. And from there on out, it was just Soto. I want 100% situational based. I want, I, I don't want to have, you remember when Jim Leland was man, or I think it was, yeah, because it was Jabba Chamberlain. And he was like, he's the eighth inning guy. No matter what. Like, we, we, need to, we need to stop that philosophy, in my opinion. This is way too difficult of a game to ignore the, the, the numbers and the advantage that you might have by throwing a different reliever at a certain batter. Now, there are some teams where they have such a good reliever on their roster that that dude is the best reliever in every single situation. Prime Mariano Rivera. That's like, that's something that I always like to say because when I say I want 100% situational base, people are like, oh, you're too analytical. What about Mariano Rivera? What about him? He's the greatest ever. He's, a, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer almost, or is unanimous Hall of Famer, right? Yes, Mo's the greatest of all time. Yep. No analytic would have ever told you that Mariano Rivera was not the person to go to in the highest leverage situation because he was that good. He was better than, oh, do you want to play righty-lefty here? No. He's better than whatever situation you could draw up. He was the best guy in the Yankees' bullpen for all of them. Okay? So, that's what I think. That's what I think. I think Greg should be around in this bullpen. He's not a DFA candidate. 
He's not a cut him candidate. Now, he is a trade candidate. And we talked about in the trade deadline episode. This is a little bit of a longer episode. I'm sorry. We talked about in the trade deadline episode that Soto was kind of a candidate candidate to get moved then because he had multiple years of control left and that that got you more value. However, we have learned since then from a lot of our great beat writers that have made very public that the asking price for Gregory Soto was, I think one of our beat writers quoted prime Aroldis Chapman. Yeah, that's who we were dealing with. That's who was running our ball club for a little bit. So that's obviously not true. I don't think Scott Harris believes that that's true. It would not shock me if Gregory Soto was traded. That's what the point I'm trying to get to. Sorry, it took a while to get there. It would not shock me. If I was running this team, I think that I would still have a decently high price for him. Uh, if somebody called, I would certainly listen, and I would certainly negotiate and try and get the most out of him. And if we ended up moving him, we ended up moving him. But I don't think I would rate a high priority for this offseason. I don't think should be or will be. Gregory Soto must get traded by spring training. I think this team has a laundry list of priorities, and that's not necessarily at the top of it. Again, that doesn't mean if somebody comes calling with a with a King's Ransom haul that you're not going to listen, however, either. He's certainly not, unpro- un, not unprotectable. He's certainly not untradeable, unmovable, whatever. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on for. It would not shock me if Gregory Soto was moved. It wouldn't. I don't think it's a high priority, though. Okay? All right. Thanks for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every day. For your next listen, check on the Lockdown Sports Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts, just like us. Uh, like I said, a little bit longer, but we got Gregory Soto out of the way. Um I know that he's super controversial and I know that there were probably, I think I, I kind of walked this line where I, I kind of upset both crowds. I think I, I kind of, my opinion of him is, is more in the boat of if you are the biggest Gregory Soto hater, you're not going to like what I have to say. And if you're the biggest Gregory Soto truther, you're not going to like what I have to say either. I think I kind of walk this line where I, I upset both parties uh, as far as the two extremes go on, on opinion of him. Um, but I I like him being around. I'm okay with it as long as you're not going into the season continuing to shove down this fan base's throat that he is the high leverage must go to in every ninth inning or, or biggest leverage situation in the eighth or whatever. That needs to stop. We're done. We're done with that. Alex Lang had too good of a year. I know he had a really bad August, but he had a phenomenal year. Joe Jimenez was stellar. If you had to re-pick an all-star after game 162, it would have been Joe Jimenez. He was phenomenal. You, you just have Jason Foley was really effective. You just have way too good of a bullpen to risk on a night-in and night-out basis putting the highest leverage situation on Greg's shoulders. That's, I guess, the best way I can word this. Save you 40 minutes. All right. Peace and love. Going to therapy's dope. 
Uh, I'll catch y'all tomorrow. And it's a big week, like we talked about at the beginning. Big, big week. We got, a, we got a lot of moves that are ahead of us. So we'll be sure to catch them all here. Go Tigers, baby.